How you going, Team Health Tech? Peter Birch here. And this episode, it's the last one in our holiday mentoring series that we've been running on the podcast. So we've scaled it down a little bit over the past few weeks, done one episode a week. And these episodes, they've not actually been hosted by me, but Michelle Gardner, a THT Plus member in our community. And Michelle's been interviewing other members of THT Plus, founders and managers, executives within organizations that are creating technology within the healthcare space. Not so much about the product, well, there's a little bit about that, but more about the person, about development, growth, mentoring, all the kind of stuff that we're all thinking about here in a new year, 2022, setting goals, getting ready to take this year by the horns and make the most of it. So in this episode, you're going to hear Michelle speak with Dr. Chris Payton from Edify. And Chris has been on the show before, but this one, you're going to learn more about Chris. And in this discussion, it's a useful one to get the insights into what it's like being a multitasking medical professional, but also branching out to being a tech founder. You hear about the importance of finding a good coach and a mentor, and there's some good down-to-earth humor in this one as well. So all-round enjoyable one for anyone to check out in this holiday mentoring series on the Talking Health Tech podcast. Like I said, check out the episode I did with Chris earlier in 2021 to learn more about Edify, but right now you're going to learn about Chris. I hope you get something out of it. Here we go. Collaboration starts with a conversation. Team Health Tech, let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. Hello, and today we're talking with Dr. Chris Payton, a director at Edify, a community education platform for healthcare professionals powered by AI. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm not too bad, Michelle. How are you going? I'm pretty good today. I'm pretty good today. I'm really excited to have you here to get a bit of your advice, particularly given your really interesting career path. So for those listeners, you know, at home, Mm. can you maybe tell us a bit more about what your career path has been today? Yeah, sure. Um, So I think we talked about it briefly on the podcast before. I had a bit of a varied career. I spent half of my life in emergency departments and around generally around Western Australia at the moment and do a bit of a a fly-in, fly-out roster up there. And then the rest of the time, sort of 50% of my time, it's the opposites in an office working in general med tech. So everything from EDFI, which is our AI-powered education platform that we talked about um, a little bit last time, but also then we're looking at um, everything from urgent care centers to NDIS housing and how we can use technology to make all of these things better. And so try and sit on sort of both sides of the fence, which makes it interesting, but uh, at least a busy life. You know, I'm sure like yourself, I'm trying to juggle a whole lot of balls at the same time. And so it's been really, it's really interesting to then move from the sort of business side of things one week to, you know, going back to doing emergency effectively in, in some really remote locations and the challenges that come from doing both things. Tell me a bit about some of the challenges for you. I think the the challenges, especially we were, you know, you and I just briefly talked about it before we started the podcast, but the challenges come from trying to constantly juggle so many things. And so I find at this time of year when you're, you're trying to get everything sort of closed up before the Christmas period, you realize just how much you've taken on. And maybe sometimes it seems like it's a bit overwhelming and a bit too much. And 
yeah, I think the, the biggest challenge I find every year, especially at this time, is trying to reflect on should you have said yes to so many things and was that a good idea and um, how's everything going? And so it's a good time to check in, but also to think about how you want to set things up for the, the start of the new year once you've had a bit of a, a break and let your brain reset, you know. Thinking about like saying yes to too many things, that's something that hits home for me very personally. But is there like a framework that you take or how do you decide what you actually say yes to? I find that I'm really, I suppose you have to reflect on the things that you're good at and that my brain doesn't work in a very structured way. And so I works for emergency because in emergency you walk in and there's the next patient to be seen and they're triaged and the more immediate things flash at you in red. And so you're constantly directed to do the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. But I find sometimes when I'm sit by myself in the office and look at all of the things that I've had to do or all the things that I take on, I struggle a little bit to find that structured approach. And so my biggest learning, I think, is trying to figure out what makes me tick, what things are am I good at? And two things, not trying to do the things that I'm not good at because that takes up so much more of my time and energy trying to be somebody that I'm not on the, and I'm trying to fit myself into that box. So then if it isn't me, I've gone out to try and find people who have that structure that I can work with around me. So for example, I work with a really awesome guy who's, I don't like using the word coach and I don't think he does either, but he's a mentor, but sits down with me once every two weeks whenever I come back from being away and we sit down and we strategize for an hour. And he puts that framework for my, you know, the next two weeks or the next week in place. I said, look, Marty, these are all the things that I have to get through. And it's just overwhelming at the moment because we're coming up to Christmas. He's like, it's okay. We can break it down into bite-sized chunks and we can do this bit now. And, and, you know, this is the plan to get it all finished. And then you can see where you want to go. And if somebody can help me structure that path, I find personally, and that really helps me, but it comes down to you know, understanding, and it's taken me years and years to figure out, A, the things that I'm good at and be happy with the things you're good at, but also realizing some things that not so much that you're not good at, but I have no interest in. So if I have no interest in doing it that way, then I'm always going to procrastinate. I'm always going to put that off. So is it worth me, you know, either paying somebody or having somebody in an organization that balances out my personality? And that's been one of the big things I've learned over the years is finding people who balance out your personality and things you're good at, and they can help you achieve all the things that you want to achieve. That's been a big, one of the main things on, on I suppose, inverted commas, my journey so far that I've that I've learned that really helped me. I like that. So you outsource the things that you don't enjoy and you sort of make space for the things that are important. 100%. Um, so in, you know, uh, I think I have Marty as an overriding sort of coach. And through that, then in my business side of things with EDFI, we're really excited. We've just hired a managing director. And so I'm going to move to more of a medical director role. And that lets me continue to do all the things that I'm doing and the things that I love doing and I'm good at. And he's much more structured and strategy and almost project management so that we can have the big picture discussions with me and then he can give us a roadmap of how we're going to get there. And on the same side, on I'm Educate, my other education business, we've hired somebody in a very similar role, slightly different setup, but effectively he's there again to, you know, I'm Educate is phenomenal. We've had nearly 20,000 doctors through the, or 25,000 doctors through the platform. It works really well from emergency, but we want to grow it and expand it. But again, how are we going to do that? I have a very good idea of where we want to be and all the specialties that we want to have as part of our lineup. But how do we structure that? What people do we need to hire? 
how to put together those contracts, all of that sort of nitty gritty black and white stuff. And again, it's things that I would procrastinate about for the next six months. Or I know that with Simon in that case, Simon will have it sort of done and turned around in the next couple of weeks. And then we'll hit the new year with a very clear strategy and plan there too. So I think that's really moved us forward in all the businesses that I'm part of is to find those people that balance out my personality and help us get there. And how do you reflect on your strengths? Uh, Difficultly. Oh, I think uh, generally, uh, I think you have to have, you know, when you're building companies or working as a doctor or, you know, in many professions, you have to have the faith that you are great at what you do and you're able to do it and you turn up every day and say, I can smash this out. And so sometimes I think certainly working in an emergency and being a doctor, we don't like ever saying there are things that I'm not good at or can't do. And I think one of the hardest things is to have that conversation with yourself first and say, oh, why does that happen? Or I feel overwhelmed. And six months ago, I felt overwhelmed again. Why does that keep happening? What what decisions am I making to make my life more difficult than it has to be? I think that's a hard conversation that anybody has to have. And and fortunately, I have a a wife who's much more intelligent than me, tells me that I'm wrong a lot of the time. And so every now and again, I think some of that sneaks through, you know, maybe she's right. Don't tell her. And hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast. But (laughs) I think having that piece of reflection, it's hard to have the conversation with yourself. But once you do, I think you'll get a lot from it. Yes, I can imagine it's very difficult, particularly if you have perfectionistic tendencies. Mm. Imagine becoming into the medical profession, you have to have very high grades, so you have very high standards for yourself. So You do, um, and, and sometimes, and, and you know, you... I think med- medicine's funny, uh, you know, I think that when you come out of medical school and all of a sudden you, you're you asked, your decisions matter and it might matter about, you know, the life and death of somebody. I think that it's hard then making those decisions and everybody looking to you in the room. And then I think that sort of makes you a bit defensive and makes you worried about all the decisions you make. I think it's challenging then to sometimes admit that you don't know all the right answers. And what other lessons did you learn in the emergency department that you're now using today in a business context? I think you learn that you have to work with every member of the team. Uh, I think that surround yourself with good people. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes you, you're walking into environments where you don't necessarily select your team and your team's given to you for whatever reason. But one of the things that I've learned the whole way through is I have, you know, in the hospitals I work, I have phenomenal people that I work around and they make me better at what I do. So working with you know, a great team is one of the most important things. And just like I said, then reflecting on what you don't do well and what other members of the team do really well, then that's, I think that's the same in business or in medicine or in emergency or anywhere. Coming back to an earlier point that you made about someone who's a bit of a mentor and a coach to you, Mm. has this been an important part of your career journey to date, having these coaches and mentors in your life? Are there maybe a few examples you could talk us through? Oh, yeah. um, I think having those coaches started when I was 16 and my dad was always dragging me to conferences and things even from a young age. And he, I remember going to a Tony Robbins event, you know, one of those sort of big American motivational um, coaches. And you go for three days and it's intense. And I'm 16 and you're talking, you, you're beside you with people who have had maybe terrible lives and they're reflecting on that. And you know, people are screaming beside you. And I'm thinking, oh, well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a bad day at school and I didn't get a question right in the exam and this woman beside me is telling about her traumatic life and I can't really reflect at 16 about how bad somebody's life can be at you know 40 after uh, lifelong trauma and abuse and I suppose but from a young age my parents always believed that you you know these things were necessary and so yeah as I say it was interesting 
to do that instead of start a holiday and um, with all my friends or go away somewhere. But I think those things set me up for the rest of my life. That does sound like quite the perspective check at 16. Yeah, oh, um, I think my wife would tell you too. My parents are intense at times, but uh, they always wanted us to work hard and be better and find those ways to reflect on our own behavior. And and again, you, you don't always get it right, but I think that it's it's asking, having somebody outside yourself maybe ask a question that's that starts you having that conversation with yourself is probably, you know, I find it's very important for me. And if you were looking for a coach or a mentor today, what would your criteria be? I think it's challenging because it would be nice to have a coach or a mentor that has done it all before. But sometimes you find that, you know, you want somebody who has some interest in the space that you're in. So at least that you can have intelligent conversations with people. But I find that you have to go through quite a lot of coaches first. I think that you have to try out a whole lot of different people because it takes a long time to develop that rapport and that relationship. Actually, um, Marty, the guy who coaches me is a, is, so his background, he's an engineer and he's sort of heads of business and a whole wide range of different industries. But we met at a Tony Robbins event in Brisbane. And so we were the two Irish guys that split off in this group of 40. And so we're both a bit ginger and both saw each other, you know, it was almost romantic. We saw each other in a crowded room and we've become friends ever since, but because he's got all this background experience and is a coach, then over those years, that I'm really lucky that that friendship has sort of moved to this sort of coaching friendship relationship. And so, you know, I rely on his advice a lot of times and because I have a huge amount of respect and having that reflection to listen when he asks me difficult questions that I might not want to, I suppose, ask myself or answer the most truthfully, but having somebody who knows you that well, I think makes it easier. Okay. So you'd be looking for someone with experience someone who's intelligent, offering good conversation, hmm. someone you respect, and then somebody who can be direct and challenging. I think it's the same as nowadays choosing a GP. You want to have somebody that you develop a rapport with. And so, so many people come to me at times in emergency, and I think it's challenging to find a doctor that you have that rapport with. And back in the days, you know, you had a GP and that GP was your family GP for life. And so the world's changed. And so I think that you have to be, especially when it comes to your health or your I suppose your business health in terms of a coach, to find somebody that you can actually relate to, open up to, have an honest conversation with. And that goes whether or not it's going to see a doctor, going to see a coach. I think it's all the same thing. You need that connection. And so don't be afraid. I mean, if you're looking for a coach, you know, the first two, three, uh, four times that you try some, try doing it, you might find that I don't have any rapport with this person. This isn't getting me there. But if that's the case, then you need to keep trying. You need to try the next one. But don't give up on it because I think when you find that person that you can really have that connection with, I think it makes a huge difference. And I'm just lucky that it started off as a friend, you know, our, our friendship started off in that coach and now we've got a coaching relationship as well. But I've had lots of different coaches over the years and haven't really gelled with them or haven't really felt like it was going anywhere. But, you know, I keep trying. The one is out there for you, right? That's it. That's it. And so some people might listen to this and say, oh, I don't need a coach or I can do everything myself. And if you can, you can. But I find that I need somebody to ask me those difficult questions. Sometimes I don't want to ask them myself. Very good. So thinking back on your career, what's been the biggest challenge that you've had to date? The biggest challenge is knowing when's enough is enough. And so I was talking to somebody the other day about trying to keep going, even though you're absolutely exhausted. And so when I was younger, I did silly things like I'd finish seven night shifts in a row. I'd fly back from 
being in the you know in a re- regional emergency department, um, get finish my shift, get straight on a plane, get off the plane, and then spend all day doing meetings because I was so. I thought that's what you need to do, right? Like you have to, I've been away for a week, things have happened, I need to know what's happening, I need to know where everything is. And so, you know, I'd start my meetings at 12 o'clock and I maybe get home that night at six o'clock to see my wife and I'd be absolutely physically exhausted and emotionally exhausted. When you're like that, you don't make good decisions. So had I just gone home or even given myself a day or two to recover from being on nights for seven days, then I would have pulled up much better and I would have been much more fun to be around and I suppose less ratty and able to make good decisions. And at the time you think I have to push, push, push. Looking back and reflecting on it, ah, I'd probably be much better just taking that time off, letting my brain settle and reset and not being up 24 hours and then trying to make decisions, especially long-term strategic decisions. You know, in the end you just go, yeah, whatever, just to get it done. But that's probably, well, it's definitely not the right way to go, but it's taken me a long time to realize, I suppose my own stupidity, to realize that you just can't keep going forever and you need to give yourself a bit of a reflection and a break. And even now coming up to Christmas in January, you know, what I've realized in Australia is it's sort of Christmas period in January, you know, not much happens in the business world. So I'm still doing my shifts in emergency, but the rest of the time I'm off and I'm taking all that time off with my wife and daughter and really looking forward to that. But years gone by, I wouldn't have done that. I would have still turned up, sat in the office, find something to do, but probably a lot of times it was probably a bit of a waste of time and it was good just sitting here and feeling that I'm working because I'm sending emails and things, but who am I sending emails to because other people aren't even in the office? So I could do all of that after I'd taken some time off. And what do you do to recharge and recover? So I'm like a puppy. I need to burn myself out. And so what I find (laughs) is I love downhill mountain biking. I love anything and I'm sure it's the same for a lot of entrepreneurs. You love anything that you have to focus on 100%. So when I don't focus, I fall off and I hurt myself. And then there's that lesson that you, and again, clearly because I'm not that smart, um, it takes something strong to push me in the right direction. So if I, you know, I went mountain biking at the weekend, if I do downhill and I'm not paying attention and I fall off and I end up ripping a hole in myself and then I think oh that was really silly wasn't it I should have paid attention and so trying to find things that physically burn me out but also mentally because you might do it for four hours and it's just one run after another after another you have to pay attention but it's also you know you need to think about it the whole way down and it's quite intellectually stimulating as well I suppose I find having those things that truly burn me out and allow me to focus on something else and, and give me a reset is really important to me once I found a sport that I loved that would do that, and I found mountain biking probably about four years ago, and yeah. uh, you know now a week goes past and I try and get out once a week even for a couple of hours because it just gives me that reset. I can see how you'd need to give that all of your attention, especially if your you know wrists are on the line. Or <laughs> oh, yeah, so at the moment my daughter has put my uh, bandage on my arm because I <laughs> fell off and and ripped a hole in my arm, and so she's very caring. She has to see her my sore arm every day and put her her little dinosaur bandage on it. But yeah, it's interesting to have something that you have to be present for, otherwise you end up, as I say, hurting yourself. And so we're recording this now in December. Mm-hmm. How are you preparing for the new year? I suppose just like we talked about. So I'm, I'm taking, I was going to work more in January in, the, again, this is my wife being more intelligent than me. I said, 
Good news is in January, I can work more in emergency because there's no work in the office. So, you know, that gives me time to let's do extra shifts. That's, you know, why would I sit at home and do nothing? And she said, you look, you do this every year. Why don't you take some time off and why don't we plan a holiday and why don't we go away? And then you get a chance to reset and we get to spend more time as a family. And, you know, thankfully, I listened to her this time. And so I'm not doing extra. And I think I'm really looking forward to just having some time in January to reset. Uh, starting then come February, when everything's kicking off again, we planned, you know, the start of our MD in February for Edify. Our business development guy has a plan starting in February because we know that, you know, as I say, that January period is just going to be a bit of a dip. So this year I'm taking it off, which I'm super excited about. Super excited. That's brilliant. And what about like planning? So once you're through that wonderful relaxation period, do you kind of do any planning this side of the year? Or are you thinking more like going to get back to work and hit the ground running? I look, I look, I think it's the same as everybody else and, uh, out there, you know, who's, who's got their own business or has a really interesting idea. You never really stop thinking about it but you're not sitting in an office and talking to people about it. So it's always ticking along at the back of your head. And I tend to sit down and, you know, read for days at a time. It's just not the way my brain works, but I'll, I'll not switch off and I'll not stop thinking about it. And certainly my wife will have to deal with my horrible conversations at times, talking about oh, you know, all the ideas that I have and, this, you know, and, and she'll, you know, she'll glaze over and she'll nod and she'll listen, you know, a little bit. Um, but I think that you never really stop thinking about it, but it's just not being in that work environment that gives you that time to have a good sleep every night, not have to get up and do something and, just um, having that time to let everything that you've been thinking about all year just settle in your head. And do you set any personal goals for yourself in the new year? Are you a New Year's resolution kind of person? I've never been a New Year's resolution because um, I find that things change so rapidly over the year. What I think I want to do now will change a couple of months from now, and especially with all the different things I'm doing. The great thing is never really know completely what direction things are going to move in. So I think... You know, you just want to be better than you were the year before, both better at being work, maybe more physically active. And now that I've got a daughter, I suppose you want to be a better father and be around more. So I think, yeah, the only thing I try and set myself up for every year is to try and be better than I was the year before. And how do you prioritize all those things? Because there's a lot of better categories I can hear from you. Mm. Uh, well, I think uh, my coach wouldn't like that because better, I mean, what's the measure of your success then, right? And again, I'll probably sit down with Marty and say, well, if this is what I want to do, I want to be better next year. And he'll say exactly what you're saying to me. He goes, well, what are the measures? What little bits can we tick off that will make you feel at the end of the year or halfway through the year that you've achieved that? Because the challenge is if you don't set those goals, how do you know that you've achieved something on the other side? And then how do you know to stop or how do you know to pull back? And I, I suppose we'll sit down and we'll, what we'll do is we'll have a look at every aspect of life and, again, the broader terms of where I wanted to go to in the future. What are achievable little nuggets along the way that you can have those regular wins? And if you have those regular wins, what do they look like? And, again, it, it has to be broad and it has to be achievable, but I think setting those achievable targets early on. So thinking about your career path, and the fact that you do so much in so many different areas, is there any advice you would give to like a younger version of yourself, knowing what you know now? Yeah, I think that the biggest challenges I've had over my career and all the things I'm doing, I think we've touched on a number of times, is pushing myself too far and then not realize when you're getting exhausted or even burning out. 
And that has led to some of the biggest challenges. And I think a lot of us are guilty of it. When you get to that stage where you're exhausted or approaching burnout, you're not making good decisions and you're not fun to be around. And so that can affect your relationships with people you work with or relationships at home or relationships in, a, in you know, your work or emergency with the people that you see every day. But also, you know, if you catch yourself early and you say, look, I'm getting exhausted, I'm tiring myself out and being able just to say, well, not doing a good job now, so what do I need to do to get back on track? And I think the advice I give to a younger me is that you don't have to be there every second of the day. In fact, that's probably detrimental. I think it's finding your little outlets that let you reset and recharge on a regular basis. You can have the bigger holidays once or twice a year, but what are you doing on a regular basis just to reset yourself? And as I say, when I find mountain biking, I find that really works for me. Everybody will have their own way to recharge and reset, um, but you need that. You need something that isn't, you mean you can have the best idea in the world and your company can be a billion dollar company, but eventually you'll lose any passion for it if you are doing it day in, day out. I don't know how you can. And maybe maybe there are people out there that disagree. Maybe people say, oh, you know, I love my company. I've, I do it seven days a week. and can't think of doing anything else. And this is how I rest is thinking about my company. And that's great. But for me personally, I can't. And I tried for a very long time, for years and years to do everything all the time and work in emergency one minute and work on my own stuff the next. And there was no time for me in the, and that doesn't work. And what are the signs that you get personally when you're nearing burnout? I find that my care factor goes down across the board. And I find that I, when I'm really exhausted, I don't sleep. Um, so it makes everything worse. So if I know that I've sort of lost that, I'm supposed to quote Top Gun, that loving feeling, right? Um, so <laughs> if I've lost the care factor in everything that I'm doing and I wake up some morning, and you know, I just don't care today. That's me not doing so well. And then what I find is then if I'm awake at two or three in the morning and there's a hundred thoughts in my head and I just can't settle my brain, that to me suggests that because none of it's coherent thought. You bounce from one thought to the next thought to the next thought to the next thought. Mm. It's keeping you awake. It's all of these things that you think that you have to do that probably once you'd had a rest and a break, you could smash out in an hour or two. But it's little things. It's have you paid your car insurance at three o'clock in the morning. Do you know what? If I figure that out tomorrow, why am I talking about it at three o'clock in the morning? The you know I realized that deadline for my car registration was up. So I'm trying to fix that at four o'clock in the morning. What am I doing? I can do that in the morning. But that's when I know that I need to take a day or two and, and walk away. And I just, and now, I, I, and the, I think the challenge that before was I always felt like I was letting somebody down if I didn't turn up for work in terms of my business work. But I'd be letting people down more if for the next you know month I'm working suboptimally and not really getting anything done, but telling myself I'm getting it done because I'm sitting in an office. That doesn't work either. Well, it sounds like you really know the signs of when you're heading into the danger zone. Oh, you would think. <laughs> I like that. But you you would think, but still sometimes I say that's why you have to surround yourself with good people who you trust their opinion, just like we talked about right at the start, having a coach, because no matter who you are, I think it's not always easy to recognize those things. I mean, it's really easy for me to talk about when I'm not in that space. It's difficult for me to talk about whenever I've had three hours of sleep and I'm like, no, no, it's fine. I just I get it done because I need to get it done because all these things are in my head. What advice would you give to someone coming into healthcare that perhaps, you know, you've taken this very different path so you're not just mm. 
not that you are just a doctor or just mm. a business person, but you, yeah. you're multi-passionate. You're kind of doing a lot of things. Is there any advice you would give to someone who's kind of thinking about maybe a multidisciplined career like you have? It's been challenging. I think the biggest challenge has been trying to find people who think the same way. I think medicine can be an all-encompassing, well, it is an all-encompassing career, and that's fantastic. And if you join a specialty, I mean, I have friends who are surgeons and medics and full-time emergency doctors. And, you know, when you spend all that time training, say, an emergency, and you spend sort of four or five years doing your two years as a junior doctor, another five years all the way until you get to specialist, you don't have time for much else. And especially in that environment, you're sort of surrounding yourself with people who all believe the same thing, which is fantastic. That's how you get there and how you get that support. If you want to go into the health tech space, it's harder to find those people that cross over. And so I'm very lucky at the moment, I'm finding people who are interested in, you know, I work with people in an office who have lots of health tech investments. They're not doctors or health professionals or I think one guy did two years of podiatry and that's about as far as he went. But the challenge is then trying to find people who want to do 50% in both spaces. I think as tech becomes more of our lives in the health industry, we'll find more health professionals that, that will straddle both. But it's challenging and it's challenging to find a peer group who at some stage, because in your medical career, at some stage you will you know, the majority of people around you, if you're working in a hospital, the expectation is that you put your head down there and do your specialty, which is amazing. And you work, you know, silly amounts of, of time to get there, especially if you're in any specialty in medicine. But the challenge at the moment is medical health tech isn't a specialty. I think in the long term, it, it will be because we need to engage more with how technology will help generally in terms of both in, in the hospital system with all the systems that we use, but also how do we treat more and more patients at home? How do we make patients more engaged with their own health care? And you need health professionals to be part of those decisions and part of those companies. And so I think in the long term, uh, there'll be a fellowship of medical technology, but how long that will be or when that will come about, I think that's the biggest challenge. That's, yeah, so interesting and I completely agree that it's fundamental to have clinicians influencing lots of these decisions and being part of technology and processes because otherwise it's not relevant, right? Mm. Well, I think so. I, I think that at the moment we, we get given systems in the hospital um, and the challenge is that if you're an emergency trainee and you're doing your 50 or 60 hours a week or 70 hours a week or whatever it is in your hospital to get there and doing your exams, then you don't have time to sit for hours and hours working with developers to build new systems. So you just get given a system. And then what we do in healthcare is we haven't really been part of those decisions. And then we get given a system and then we are angry about the system, but we didn't engage at the time when that system was being put together. And, you know, that has to change. We have to, but again, that has to be recognized as a specialty because that's how we measure ourselves against our peers. So the expectation is you come out of medical school, you do several years of junior doctor, and then you join a specialty. And then regardless of what that specialty is, you work through it, and then you get a fellowship. Well, if there is no fellowship in this area, then, you know, how do you encourage junior doctors and medical students to want to do this when you've been taught that that hierarchy is what you have to go through? And so I think there needs to be that specialist recognition for people who are in digital health. I think it has to happen before we notice any significant change. Yeah, that's a really interesting concept. It would be fantastic, I mean, selfishly from a you know, manufacturer perspective to have more people engaged up front. So 
Well, let's say you look at like even young specialties like emergency. So, and there'll be maybe emergency doctors listening to this that know this better than me. But emergency is a relatively young specialty. It hasn't been around for very long before. Yeah. I remember my dad's time, he was a surgeon, but in Northern Ireland back in the day, emergency was staffed by the physicians and the surgeons. It wasn't its own specialty. And it mm. took then a group of doctors who said, hang on a minute, I don't want to be a medical specialist. I don't want to be a surgeon. I like emergency medicine and it's a different skill set. To be really good at emergency medicine, I have to do, you know, create this fellowship and this training path and create a specialty that has all the skills that I need, but also that recognition. So the junior doctors coming in have an option to say, well, we like emergency too, and I don't want to be a surgeon. I don't want to be a medic. And now I have something to go for, and now I have my own specialist career path. And I think we just have to eventually do that for digital health. And so we're coming to the end of our time together today. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask, is there any other advice that you wanted to give or share at this point? No, I think we've talked about it uh, for the most part. I think that coming into the new year and coming into the Christmas period, uh, the only advice I would give is for people to maybe stop and reflect on the past year and give themselves a pat on the back and, you know, give themselves time to have a reset that can truly smash out next year. Yeah, it ties nicely to your earlier point in the interview about making sure that you reflect on the things that you've done well and acknowledging your strengths. So you have to. Time. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. I do really appreciate it. Thanks, Michelle. I love coming on. Um, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.